Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 4. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, though, have you guys signed up for the What Should I Read Next newsletter? Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter and subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. It's not going to be a thing that harasses you or shows up in your inbox 12 times a week, I promise you. Instead, it's going to be a resource to keep you informed about what is happening and what will happen with the show. And just so you know, I've got some really exciting things planned here. Today's guest is Seth Haynes, an attorney by day and a writer by night. Seth is the author of Coming Clean, A Story of Faith, which was released in October and was a winner in Christianity Today's 2016 Book Awards. After this episode, check Seth out on Twitter at Seth Haynes, that's H-A-I-N-E-S, and at his blog, SethHaynes.com. Seth and I have a great conversation about reading as escape, how we both hate so many books, first editions clubs, reading for the morning, noon, and night, and of course, what he should read next. Let's get to it. Seth, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay. Now, Seth, you are a reader, a writer, and an attorney. Tell me a little bit about why you read and what books mean to you. Um, well, as primarily I read as a good distraction. Um, my, my work is, tends to be a little bit dry, and sometimes it's not as creative as I like. And so being able to kind of get away and enter into a whole new world and um, – you know, just be in a creative space in a in a fun, different away from the desk space is is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to me. So um, that's primarily why I've always been a reader. I can appreciate that. Um, I have a legal background myself, and I can see why you want to read something besides contracts at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that you had a legal background. I do property law. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. way back in the All family. Right. All right. Glad to meet another one. Yeah, peas in a pod. Exactly. So what kind of things do you like to read at the end of the day to uh, escape? Is that the right uh, word? That might have a yeah. negative connotation. No, I think that's I think that's the right word. I love my primary love is fiction. Um, so primarily when I'm reading to escape, you know, I, I pretty much 
you know, I'll grab a good novel. I sit down with a good novel and, and just read until I fall asleep. But, um, but I also like to read, you know, I read other things. I read, um, theology. I read, um, nonfiction from time to time. I love good creative nonfiction, but anything that just kind of helps me to enter into a different world. Um, but my primary loves novels. Okay. So let me explain how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Very curious to hear what you pick. I love Let's start it. Okay. Let's start with your favorites. Tell me three books you love. Okay. Well, um, I kind of, when I was thinking about the three books I loved, I sort of confined it to the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. and so it's in the an last... overwhelming question to a devoted reader. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's like asking which of your children is your favorite. I know. I know. And then having like 150 children. Right. 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 So I hate to put you in that position. But on the other hand, it's so interesting to hear what people pick. So I just want you to know, I know that you could choose three different books on, you know, different days. And Well, my favorite book that I've read in the last couple of years, and and it may be my favorite book, Mm -hmm. as crazy as it sounds, Mm -hmm. is... um, all the light, all the light that that Dora wrote, I guess, a couple of years ago, and won the Pulitzer. Um, but all the light we cannot see. I mean, I I think that is a perfect book. Okay. In so, case anyone hasn't read it yet, there are always people who haven't read it yet. Tell us a little bit about the story and why you loved it so much. Well, um, it's set back in World War II, and it follows. Um, it's kind of the story of two different. Um, characters, one of which is uh, a, a German soldier, but a young German soldier, and one of which is a little French blind girl. Um, and it, it, to me, it was the perfect novel one because um, it was so beautiful in its language. Uh, I thought that the language uh, was impeccable. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, the way that he used words, the way that he painted scenes, um, and then the way he was able to drop me into the stories of both characters. Um, I'm not French. I have no French background. Mm-hmm. I have, I know no one who's French. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way he, he sort of dropped me into the, this French blind girl and allowed me to kind of, um, feel what she was feeling, uh, was masterful. And in the same way, the way he carried sympathy for, um, this, uh, you know, young German soldier was incredible too. Like, how do you identify with a Nazi? I don't know, right, but right. somehow I did, yeah. right? It was, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It was such a so, good book. I'm with yeah. you on that one. Yeah, yeah. And for a long time, I had always said that um, The Sun Also Rises was my favorite book. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was reading this book uh, uh, last summer, and Amber said, my wife said, what do you think about this book? And I said, man, I, I hate to say this, but I think, I think it might be unseating uh, Hemingway. Mm-hmm. And, and it did. I think it's... It's the most beautiful book. What's book so, two? That, that's number one. Uh, book two would probably, it's a completely different genre. It's The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a science fiction-y kind of work, um, but it has roots in, in the real world. And it follows, again, several characters. Um, and if you just like a good piece of literary escapism, it's, <laughs> it's the perfect book. Um, a little bit of a time commitment and it takes a little bit of, um, I guess just, uh, you know, intellectual, you know, acuity. You got, got to kind of stick with it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it can get kind of difficult, but, um, but it's a great book. I loved it. And I've recommended it to three or four different people and it's really hit or miss, some people love it. Some people hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that last chapter kind of does a few people in evidently but oh i'm so curious i have never read any david mitchell he's on my list for this year. are you horrified because you've read a bunch by him right um i've read a good bit yeah okay. yeah and i'm not horrified no okay um no. i have for a reading challenge this year i chose cloud atlas as a book that intimidates me um because people people tell you things like you have to read it i can't even describe it just try it and I say that myself about books all the time, but when somebody else says that to me, I'm not really sure what to do with it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I have not read Cloud Atlas. Okay. Um, are you horrified? No. No, of course not. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, I haven't read it. I love his stuff, though, and I, and I absolutely adored The Bone Clocks, and mm -hmm. I think if after you read Cloud Atlas, you should just go straight into it. Okay. Well, I'll let yeah. you know what I think. Maybe we'll yeah. get it on your list next. Absolutely. What is your last favorite? Um, last year, there was a, a novel by first-time author Julie, uh, Julie, I think is her first name, but Pierpont, and it was called Among the 10,000 Things. Um, and it was, uh, it's a story about a family that's in disarray, that's falling apart due to infidelity. Um, it is a really raw story. And the opening 30 or 40 pages are, I mean, you'll blush when you read them. I, at least I blushed. And I, I read a lot. So um, do you want to tell us a little about the storyline or is that a spoiler? Because I know um, what happens, no. but I haven't yeah. read it. Would, would readers new to the book be happier if they didn't know? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. It. So it, it tracks the story of a man who's caught in an affair. Um, and the way he's caught in, an in the affair is that a box is mailed to his wife or delivered to his wife. And in the box, there are all these different pieces of, of paper and love notes and um, just really racy stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to prepare yourself for it. But, <laughs> but, but he's an artist and it sort of tracks the, the way that the family falls apart um, throughout the course of the next, you know, several, several months into a year. But the thing that's I think is wonderful about the book um, is that the way that she's able to, to again, help you identify with um, the, 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 the person who is cheating mm -hmm. um, with the wife in the situation with the daughter and with the son. I mean, it's just so brilliant. Um, and I think that her insights into um, just the human psyche and just humanity in general are really brilliant. And she's super young. I can't remember how old she is, but right. I think 28, 28 or something or 26. That book made news for selling for six figures while she was still in her MFA program, which isn't and, and, crazy unusual, but it is her first novel. Like, and yeah. it, it was just last summer, you know, where right. publishing's changed a lot just in the last five years. That's not as common as it used to be. No, and, and to be that young and to have that much insight mm -hmm. into just kind of the way the human mind works, it was unbelievable. Okay. Here's, here's what I love about the fact that you picked that. Its average rating on Goodreads stinks. It's like 2.9. terrible. Yeah, but <laughs> the terrible. critical reviews are amazing. So yeah. it's really polarizing. How did you happen to pick it up? And what do you uh, think about the dichotomy there? Well, first of all, I picked it up because I'm in a first editions club and it was part of the first editions, uh, part of, of one of the selections from uh -huh. last year. Now, I've never uh, done that. For a little aside, which one are you in and do you enjoy that kind of thing? Yeah, I love them. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good way to keep up. There are a couple of things that I do to kind of keep up on mm -hmm. new books, and it's one of the things that I do to sort of uh, keep my ear to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, that one is um, Book Passages, I think is mm -hmm. what it's called, and it's out of San Francisco. Okay. We'll put that in show notes. I think it's out of San Francisco, but yeah, it's called Book Passages. And um, 
Yeah, the dichotomy on that was really weird, like how the the, criti- the critical reviewers really loved it, and readers don't seem to like it as much. And um, I haven't really read the reviews other than I've just seen the, the ratings. Um, the, the reviews Barnes- say what you say, like excellent insight into oh my goodness human relationships and the human condition yeah well and the, and she even does these little um sort of excursies in the middle of the book mm-hmm. that sort of play out the story mm-hmm. over the next like 15 or 20 years that are just mm-hmm. masterfully done and it's like a good break in the story and then it'll kind of come back mm-hmm. um into the story where you were and and so they're just little risks that she took that i really yeah. loved and kept me engaged in the story um, but it is really raw. And, and in fact, I was talking to somebody about it last week mm-hmm. and, uh, and she said, well, can I borrow it? And I said, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm happy to l- lend it to you. And, mm-hmm. and then she said, well, does it have an ending that is not, you know, well, will I go away kind of happy or feel like it's kind of resolved? Because I'm, in a re- I'm in a really dark space in my yeah. life, you know, and, and I had already given her the book and I reached out and I kind of took it back from her. <laughs> Uh, maybe we should wait yeah, on this yeah, one. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably uh-huh. yeah, probably affected readers too. Now, Seth, tell me what you hate. Okay, again, I tried to. I, I hate a lot of books. I think we <laughs> I do too, uh, but I don't always want to talk about them. Yeah. So on the I record, know. what are you willing to commit to? Uh, well, I'm I'm willing to commit. I mean, I told you this before. I hate great expectations mm-hmm. um, with a passion. But again, if we go back and sort of confine it to the last two years, uh-huh. and and it might be my all time. Worst hate? Is that a thing? Oh, wow. Like the hatiest hate? The hatiest hate of all time ever. Okay, bring uh, it. I hated Watchmen, Ghost of Watchmen. Uh-huh. I, it made me so angry just to read. And I thought, um, now, first of all, I know that it's, you know, it wasn't ever really slated for publication early uh-huh. on. And and I've read all the theories about how it was sort of the backstory of... Right. Um, now, of now everybody knows, right, that this is Harper Lee's new quote-unquote discovered novel that she wrote before Mockingbird and just got published last July. And there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about it to keep it interesting. Yeah. 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 And I don't keep up with all the conspiracy theories, uh-huh. but here's what I thought. Uh-huh. As, as a novel, I thought it was ill-constructed. Mm-hmm. I thought there were way too many like ranty moments of monologue or dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really move me anywhere in particular. And by the end of it, I just felt like I had read 200 and some odd pages of whining. And I think all that whining just really grated on my nerves. And I just thought it was horrendous. Now, that being said, there were some bright spots in mm-hmm. that book. I don't mm-hmm. know if you read it. But... I did. I did. Yeah. I felt conflicted about reading it in the first place. Did you? A very conflicted, yeah. but I felt like I had to. Yeah, I know. Me too. That's why I read that it. Way? Yeah. 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 Um, what did you think of the the moments where she goes into childhood, like the childhood memories? I like those better, but I was surprised at how different they were. I I felt the same way. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like I was surprised how different they were from Mockingbird. Mockingbird, yeah. right. I felt like um, those were the flashes of brilliance. Like maybe that's what led to Mockingbird. That that's the story. Now here's what I want to know. As a writer yourself, I don't know if I've told you this, but I read your book coming clean in the early version. And your manuscript is remarkably similar in version one and the print paperback that's sitting on my shelf. Like there's not a yeah. huge difference. But I was still stunned at how much better the polished version was than the early the early version was good, but I thought your final version was incredible. And that was just that was a polish. That was not an yeah. overhaul. Um, yeah. I was flabbergasted reading it 
that just as a writer myself at how Watchmen, which was mediocre, you know, how that turned into Mockingbird, you know, like right. <laughs> beloved, the great American novel, you know, one of the top 10 contenders right off the bat. As a yeah. writer, did you at least find that fascinating or was it enough to almost justify your time, your 300 pages? Um, it was absolutely enough to justify my 300 pages. I still hated it, yeah. but but um, I was actually talking to another writer about it, and I said, you know, you have to go read this just, if nothing else, to show you the process. Like, mm-hmm. your writing process, when you have the first rough draft that you just absolutely hate, um, you know, go read Watchmen, mm-hmm. and then you'll see, oh, wait, this can still turn into Mockingbird mm-hmm. with, with the right, you know, with the right guidance and help. And one an- another uh, writer friend of mine um, and I sort of were unpacking it, and she was saying, I wonder how much the editor had to do with, with that, because there are entire passages in Watchmen that are just lifted out and put into uh, Mockingbird, and I can't remember them now, but I actually remember uh-huh. going back and looking in Mockingbird and, and finding maybe two or three, you know, whole paragraphs or stories. Uh-huh. Which is especially jarring because you can tell that it's wholesale copied and yet the surrounding context is so different. It makes your head spin. Completely different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can, um, that was the first book in years that I've loved solely from the English major perspective and not, and hated the experience as a reader. Oh, you that's know? weird. Like, yeah, it was weird. All right. That's a great <laughs> no. pick to hate. Yeah, I hated it. Okay, now tell me what you're reading now. Um, well, I'm reading actually three things right now. I, I try I try to do my best to at least lie to myself and say I'm only reading one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was preparing for the show, I realized that it is just a lie. I segment, <laughs> I, I segment my day so um, that I'm reading one thing in the morning and one thing in the day and one thing at night. So I'm actually reading three books right now. Is the night book always the night book? In the morning book, always the morning book? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's I, hear what they so are. Right now, yeah. So um, right now, and this is kind of a lengthy title, but um, I'm reading a book about addiction and virtue. It's called uh-huh. Addiction and Virtue Beyond the Models of Disease and Choice. Um, and it's by a professor. I think he's at Biola. Mm-hmm. Um, his last name is Dunning, Dunnington. I think it's Kent. And um, it's it's just about... Um, you know, the models of uh, what is addiction? Is it a habit? Is it addiction? And then what are sort of the, the philosophical, what, what is the philosophical framework around the difference between addiction and habit? Now, I've read a blurb about this somewhere, and it sounds so intriguing. Is it the kind of book that anybody could pick up and enjoy? Or is it like highly scholarly specialized? Um, I wouldn't say it's highly scholarly or specialized. I think anybody could pick it up. I don't no, know that enjoy any- might have been the wrong word. Yeah, but I was learn from say, it. Uh-huh. Yeah, anybody can learn from it. I don't think that necessarily any everybody's going to enjoy it. No, 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 no. Um, the philosophical underpinnings are pretty, uh, you know, they're they're pretty heavy. Like if you like philosophy, you'll like the book. Yeah. And if you like philosophy and you have anything, you know, any addiction in your past or any sort of recovery story, mm-hmm. I think you'd like the book. Mm-hmm. It's a good, it's a good work. Mm-hmm. And and he wrote it. Um, his, one of his advisors was uh, Stanley Hauerwas, I think. So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it tells you something about the work. It's Yeah, the, just its caliber. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty rich. Okay. Yeah, so that's my morning book. What do you read in the afternoon? Okay, well, the in the afternoon, or the better way to put it is on my lunch breaks uh-huh. or whatever, I take a brief break from uh, from the toilets at the office. I'm, I've been reading uh, Mitchell's new novel, Slade House. Mm-hmm. 
um, which I'm only about 50 pages into it right now, and I really love it. And in a lot of ways, there are echoes of the bone clocks Mm -hmm. in it. And so I'm kind of wondering how much it's going to tie into the story of the bone clocks. Um, But I've really enjoyed it a lot. And I love sort of the British feel of it. It's kind of fun. So my evening book, though, right now, I'm absolutely adoring. Mm -hmm. And it is City on Fire. Um, Which intimidates the heck out of me. Okay, tell us about City on Fire. Okay, City on Fire is ambitious. It's probably the most ambitious novel I've read in the last five years. So it's set in New York City Mm -hmm. in the late 1970s. Um, and it follows a series of characters again. And I, I mean, even to tell you how many there are, I can't six or seven different characters. Um, and the way that their stories weave in and out and interact, um, is just, I, I mean, the imagination it took to do it is absolutely amazing. Um, but it's not like a lot of novels like that. There's actually sort of, um, a plot line that moves you forward Mm -hmm. into the story. A girl is uh, shot um, in the park, and it's all about, you know, who orchestrated the shooting, and is she going to be okay? And um, and it also uh, loosely revolves around the punk scene of the 1970s, the, the punk music scene of the 1970s. I did not know that. In New York. Okay. And so she was kind of a punk kid and was into punk music and is, is shot in the park, and it's sort of how all those things come together um, to sort of... I don't know. Tell a story. It's amazing. Okay. I love it. Now, how much does that thing weigh? Um, 27 million pounds. Okay. Um, how, how many inches thick? It's, uh, I don't know, but it's 900 and something pages. Oh my gosh. So I used to love huge. long books. I should have read it 20 years ago before it was published. Oh, it's so huge. Yeah. It's, it's so huge. Okay. And, um, I think, uh, again, I mean, it's his first novel and he was paid a lot of money for yeah. it too. And I think that before is... he even finished it. Really? Yeah, because I think that so. is highly unusual for for somebody to take a chance on a new author writing a book three times as long as the typical novel. Yeah, no, it's and it is massive. Okay, okay, but, but they so, made a good call. You're saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, right now I'm seven hundred and some odd pages in, uh-huh. and it so far it's holding together, and it's okay. it's 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 really coming together well. Maybe I'll wait till you get to the end till I decide. Yeah, that's probably. I throw good my idea. lot in the next six <laughs> yeah. months of my life. That's right. Seth, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? Um, I would love to get paid to read. (laughs) Is that possible? I think that's a worthy goal. I'll see what I can do on that. Okay. Okay. I love your pigs. I have ideas. We will get right to it after the break. Welcome back. Seth, let's talk about your pigs. You've chosen really recent books by, by design, um, just published in the last couple of years, and you have chosen heavy-hitting literary fiction, the stuff that wins Bookers and Pulitzers and all that, and you don't mind reading long. Also, you don't seem to care if a book is unpopular or if everyone loves it, like you're on both ends of the spectrum there with um, Pierpont and then All the Light. Okay, so I'm going to bring my lofty picks. Let me think. Uh, sci-fi, yes or no? Yes. Okay. All right. Book one is The Book of Strange New Things by Michelle Faber. So that was kind of a trick question because this is often categorized as science fiction because the story is about a Christian pastor who's chosen to travel to a newly colonized planet to minister to aliens that live there. So there's your standard sci-fi premise. 
But he doesn't take it in the standard direction. Like, really, ultimately, it's about the tenuous relationship between this minister and his wife and how that relationship is further strained by time and space and distance. And Faber said that he drew on his own relationship with his wife a little bit in writing this. Not the strain part, but just the challenges that a marriage faces and what really brings meaning to a relationship. And I got to tell you, I read this fairly recently, and it was not to my taste. But that's the thing about book recommendations. Like, what's right for one person may not be right for another, even if the book itself is perfectly good. Um, and I think it might be to your taste. What? Right. How does that strike you? What do you think? It sounds great. Marriage you know, in Outer Space. I, I love it. One of my favorite books is Slaughterhouse-Five. So you have some of those same elements, not, not the marriage elements, but the outer space and the kind of extreme sci-fi stuff. I love it. This is going to sound ridiculous, but I actually did forget how weird Slaughterhouse-Five was. It's Vonnegut. Like, I know what I'm getting <laughs> into, and I go with it, and I forget that actually it's pretty bizarre. Super bizarre. Okay. I hadn't thought how it really is like Vonnegut. So are you a yeah. fan? Vonnegut, Hemingway? Oh, I love Endure. Vonnegut. That makes for an odd trio. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Book two is going to be a little less intimidating. Um, it is another smashing debut novel. It is Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. And this is one, it kind of reminds me of Pierpont. It was a debut. It was just published in 2014, but Ng spent something like six years writing it before she got her contract. And I can tell that, or at least I think, that you like books that bring a little something to the table besides a good plot-driven narrative, like books that do interesting stuff with structure and narration. And that's what I like about this one. Uh, it has an omniscient narrator, and it serves the story so perfectly. Have you heard anything about this book? I have not. Okay. The opening line was thrown a lot around on the radio when it first came out, and it is, Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. So that's not a spoiler. That is your introduction to the story. And what happens is in a biracial family, a teen girl disappears overnight, and no one knows what happens. But the narrator walks you through exactly what happened from everyone's perspective in the 24 hours before she disappeared. And um, understandably, when when they discover she's dead, like the whole family falls apart and it goes beyond her own life. And with this omniscient narrator, she's able to draw out the spooky connections underneath the surface that like you and I wouldn't know in our normal life. That is one of the really cool things that fiction can do. So Ng reveals what's going on in her character's hearts and minds. And you get to learn the truth of the tragedy as the reader, even though no one in the story ultimately does. It's, it's heavy hitting. I mean, it's not, it's not the kind of book that makes you like several readers in the previous podcast have talked about how me before you like led to this like gut wrenching balled up on the floor, visceral reaction. It's not that kind of book. Um, it's more quiet, but it's about love and belonging and gender and race. And it's utterly absorbing. And actually I was riding on a bus in Midtown Manhattan last year. And I was sitting across from a girl who was reading this and to Will, I was like, Hey, look, she's reading, she's reading that book. I really liked. And then she missed her stop. So, <laughs> so I wanted to be like, it's okay. It's a great book. I totally see how that could happen, but it, that could happen to you. Like it is that it sucks you in. It's absorbing. It is absorbing. All right. All right. Book three. I don't know. Do you want to go for... I'm debating between two, Seth. 
Do you want to go for New York City again? Or do you want to go to like modern show-offy pros? Uh, let's do modern show-offy pros. Okay. All right. My third pick for you is A God in Ruins by Kate Atkinson. So Atkinson got her start writing detective novels. But did you have you read Life After Life by her? No. Okay. So this is a companion. It's not exactly a sequel, but the two books do go hand in hand together. So Life After Life is shorter if you want to start there. But God in Ruins is my favorite. Um, she does really interesting things with structure. And as a writer herself, it, this must be like her 10th book by now or something like that. She's been at it a while and she's very deft as a, as a novelist. Um, she's very self-aware of what fiction can and cannot do. So in Life After Life, this woman named Ursula Todd lives many versions of her life over and over again. When she dies, she goes back to the beginning and starts again. And slowly she starts to get it right. So she lives many different versions of her life. It is a little trippy until you get used to it. And then it's kind of cool. Unless you're one of the people who hates it. Um, Cause some did, but I really appreciated her, you know what she could do. It's fiction, have some fun with it. And she does. Yeah. So yeah. This companion version tells much of the same story from her brother Teddy's point of view. So Teddy is a British bomber during the bombing campaign against Germany. So his life expectancy was brutally short. Like his chance of dying on a mission were like 99.999%. And when the war ends, he has a hard time coming to terms with the fact that he has a future and he has survivor's guilt. And Kate Atkinson does the same kind of thing for him that she did for Ursula like you see different versions of his life and his kids lives and what might have happened if he died or he didn't and just how everybody interconnects and interrelates and there's quite a few times where you can feel Atkinson's kind of Atkinson kind of winking at you like look what I did there what do you think about that have you ever considered this is what a novel could do so it's self-aware but it's not annoying because it would be really easy for you to want to like punch the author in the face if she wasn't pulling it off <laughs> and I never felt that with this so it's nearly 500 pages but it doesn't feel it. it would fulfill your hefty book requirement even though it's only half of sitting on fire yeah what? which is kind of which is kind of crazy that is totally crazy. That is seriously heavy. <laughs> like, this one is like three inches thick. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not even half of your one. But City on Fire doesn't really feel that big. I, I kind of feel like I've done a disservice to this novel because it, <laughs> it doesn't feel huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, the paperweight's really good. It's kind of thin. And yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't feel huge. Okay. So maybe I'll grab your 500-page uh, book and put them side by side and check them out. Well, Strange New Things is around 500. Everything I Never Told You is like a paltry, like 304 or something like that. If you want to go for a totally lightweight pick. Yeah, that's like an evening read, right? Exactly. I feel like it should be at this point. <laughs> kind of disappointed myself. I can't knock off 300 pages before uh, bedtime, which is totally ridiculous. Yeah. But still, standards. Yeah, standards. That's right. Okay. What do you think? What do you think you'll read next, Seth? Um, well, I like all those picks. Um, if it's one of your picks, I think the ink book sounds incredible. That sounds like a good read. Sounds like a good way to, uh, to sort of be absorbed. Okay. Now here's my question. Would that be morning, afternoon, or evening? Oh, de definitely evening. Definitely evening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope you really enjoy it. Although if you hate it, that would also make for wonderful discussion. Just don't miss your bus. Okay. I, I won't miss my bus. Okay. There's no public transit here. So. Oh, so you're safe. 
Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's a relief. I won't have that on my conscience. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for coming on. This is fun. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everyone. I love chatting with Seth about what he loves to read, although I'm not sure if I should be happy or not that he just added 2,000 pages to my already quite long to-be-read list. We'll see how that shakes out. Remember, you can connect more with Seth on Twitter at Seth Haynes. You can check out his blog, SethHaynes.com, and be sure to check out his new book, Coming Clean. It's so good, you guys. Before we go, don't forget to sign up for the What Should I Read Next newsletter. Doing that will keep you in the know about any new happenings with the show, and I solemnly swear that your email or information will not be sold to telemarketers, Nigerian princes, or political candidates. Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter and subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything. Thanks again so much for listening. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Okay, well, that's it for this episode of What Should I Read Next? As Reiner Maria Rilke says, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.